Many of us can think of a time that we've praised our kids by telling them that they were a natural at something, or soothed them by telling them not to worry, it's just not their thing. But are we accidentally holding them back with the idea that they're born with a definite set of skills or talents? Hello, and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this series, I talk to a range of experts, parents and students about how we can get the most out of studying at home. From nutrition to sleep and from stress to mental health, we'll be exploring how best to support young people. There'll be a new episode every Friday morning, so subscribe, review and don't be afraid to share with others who you think might benefit from what our experts are saying. Today, I'm talking to Chris Hildrew. As well as being the head teacher at Churchill Academy in Somerset, a school that states its core purpose as enabling and inspiring all young people to make a difference, Chris is also the author of Becoming a Growth Mindset School. Chris, welcome and thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. It's especially exciting to talk with you, actually, because when I set out to create the study buddy, it was your book, although I know it's not aimed at parents, that was um, a genuine inspiration and changing a lot of the way that I thought about certainly the conversations I was having with my son at the time and my daughter now. But before we get into all of that, I wonder if you could tell me, insofar as a head teacher is allowed to be honest about these things, what kind of a student were you and what was your favourite subject? Oh, that's, uh, that's fine. I'm glad the book had an impact on you. That's great to hear. I, I really enjoyed school. Both my, my parents were teachers, so, you know, it runs in the family. I was uh, one of those kids that really enjoyed learning. My favourite subject was English uh, by a long shout, and I really enjoyed reading and, and learning. Yeah, just sort of thrived in the environment of school, really. So uh, it, it was always a place where I felt comfortable. Um, and I was from a very early age involved in working with younger children, coaching them, supporting them, particularly in drama and music. So I, I kind of guessed that, that teaching was something that always was there uh, in the background and uh, certainly something that I was very interested in when I went off to university to study English. So then is it true to say, um, or fair to say, that English is um, is something you're born to be good at? So <laughs> I, I see what you've done there, Nathan. The uh, the interesting thing about, about talent and uh, ability is that we do have natural predispositions to be good at certain things. So, uh, you know, part of our genetic makeup or part of our kind of cultural heritage with our families and so on will predispose us to be better at certain things than others. So uh, if I, my own example, both my parents were teachers, there are lots of books in the house. Uh, and that obviously gave me an environment in which uh, reading and, and uh words were something that was celebrated but genetically I was not predisposed to be uh, a champion athlete uh, I wasn't given the genetic inheritance to do that the way that I often talk to students about the natural ability versus uh, practice idea is, is Usain Bolt so I, I talk in assembly quite often about how I'm not born with the same physical abilities as Usain Bolt uh, you know I'm not as tall as him I'm not as muscular as him therefore it's highly unlikely I'll ever be able to beat Usain Bolt in a 100 meter dash, no matter how hard I train. But if I was to practice my my sprinting every day for 100 days, you can bet that I would be able to run faster uh, in 100 days than I can run now. Um, so no matter what your natural ability is that you're born with, you can always improve that by practice and by uh, by training. And so then should we be encouraging our children to effectively compete against themselves rather than benchmark against other people in order to develop skills and aptitudes. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And that's something that's really, really important in a school context, but actually also in a kind of 
uh, general human context. I don't think you're ever going to get rid of um, the idea of, of, of you know, competing against your peer group. I think that's something that's sort of quite natural for humans in groups to always do to try and assess where they stand within the uh, within the hierarchy. But one thing we do uh, at Churchill is that we don't usually put um, grades on student work when we hand it back so that it, it stops students from trying to compare their own performance to the performance of others in the group and instead focus on the feedback the teachers provided. What we found and what, what research uh, shows is that when you put a grade on, on students' work, they'll look at that grade and uh, respond to that. And then they'll often not have the, the kind of capacity to take on the learning that the feedback is providing. So if you remove the grade and just have the feedback, that's the only thing the students can focus on, then they're more focused on learning rather than on the, the outcome itself. So given that we're in a time when uh, obviously the schools have, have been closed predominantly for the, um, for the majority of the population and parents are to a greater or lesser extent taking on the role of a classroom assistant, if not necessarily <laughs> a teacher, is there anything in that that we can be using as parents to help encourage our children to do more and to want to do more because as you say although it you you don't necessarily want that peer group measuring to hold you back at the same time is there something in that competitive element of knowing that you're progressing um, along with your peers yeah I think I think that's right I think that you're if you're measuring yourself against your own yardstick if you look back at what you could do a week ago a month ago a year ago and you compare that with what you can do and what you know now that's always a useful way of, of assessing um, your own kind of progress in terms of how I would advise and how we do advise parents to work with young people when they're learning at home I think the the kind of counterintuitive bit is that struggle is a good thing um, we're kind of hardwired I think as parents particularly to be uh, really positive and to praise our children when they grasp things quickly so if there's a piece of mathematics that they're doing and they get them all right first time I think that's something that as parents we'd naturally be inclined to praise and think oh that's brilliant my child is so great at maths the reality of that is probably that's something they could already do so they're probably not been challenged particularly by that and, and I would I would contend that that not that isn't really a learning experience that they've just been through if they've got 10 questions right straight away Whereas if they have to really think and struggle and they get maybe a few bits wrong in the 10 questions and maybe they get six out of 10, but they can go back and see where they've gone wrong, that to me is learning. So for parents, I think praising students when they're finding something difficult and they're persisting and they're keeping going or when they've got something wrong, recognising the mistake they've made and going back and thinking, oh, yeah, I see what I did there. That to me is the thing that I would want parents to be praising more then perhaps the rapid grasp of, uh, or you know, 10 out of 10 in a really quick time on stuff that they could already do. And that's because the experience of struggle is more closely linked to learning than the kind of easy win of, of uh, 10 out of 10. And so in your book, you talk about this as being uh, praise the process. Yeah, that's right. Praising the process is the, is the key thing because that's where the learning is happening. So, uh, you know, at Churchill, we talk about the fact that the, the kind of end result only really matters um, in the GCSE exam or the A-level exam at the end of the course. Ironically, of course, our, our students currently won't be experiencing that. But actually, every other experience of learning that the students have is about the process of learning. So uh, it doesn't actually really matter what grade you get or what mark you get on a particular assessment provided you learn from the experience of doing that assessment so what did you get right why was it correct why did you get this question right why did you get this question wrong which bits of your learning are you secure in which bits of your learning 
Do you need extra time with, or do you need to run over again? That's the whole point of doing assessments right up to um, you know the day before the final exam. And uh, you know, rather than fixating on the result, on the outcome, we try to emphasise as far as possible the process of learning so that when students get assessments back or they get a piece of homework returned to them, their first thought shouldn't be, what did I get? The, the first thought should be, what can I learn from the experience of doing this assessment? Because the process is, as you describe it, they're cumulative. So by, by understanding that I'm moving myself forward by, by working through sets and tasks and um, getting to different assessments I can learn from that and I'm encouraged to try to do more it's the the success comes from completing the process not success comes from the letter or the number at the end absolutely yes so the, the, the thing that we should value should be the process of learning it's not like you're ever going to run out of mathematics to learn there is always more <laughs> so uh you know just keeping going and recognizing that I've, I've mastered this particular thing and now i need to go on and um and and build on that the next piece of learning and that's the same you know with literature uh I, i'm never going to have read all of the books much as i might like to so there's always more to learn there's always more to do and uh it's a kind of never-ending process so even gcse or a level or a university degree or a postgraduate degree only mark staging posts on the the kind of learning journey and that's no different for our students no different for our parents you know as a parent myself um i'm fully aware that my parenting skills are developing every single day and, and as my children grow my skills and ability to parent them has to learn and grow with them so you know, parenting a 13 year old is very different to parenting a, a six month old um, and we have to continue to learn and develop our skills in just the same way that our students and our children are learning and developing all the time too that follows on from the a previous episode with jonathan peach when we looked at how to i suppose apply more coaching styles and techniques to our parenting if you like in certain contexts certainly around um, studying and he talked about the www.ebi so is that a way so where we what went well and then even better if so not striving towards perfection but how we can incrementally grow and he argued that that was a good way of helping us to um, challenge ourselves further uh, well, students to challenge themselves further. Does that fall yeah, into Yeah, I'm this? a fan of that idea. I think uh, we don't actually use uh, necessarily those particular acronyms, WWW or EBI, but I've seen those used widely. And, and what I do agree about is that those are important signals that actually this is part of a journey. You know, we've achieved this, but there is still more that we can do. Um, and every task that we do, whether it be, you know, a learning task that's been set by a teacher or just, you know, with my own son tying his shoelaces, um, every time we do that, it's a stage on a journey to getting better and better at whatever it is that we're doing at the time. Every meal you cook, every time you drive your car, you're always sort of learning and honing your skills um, to get better and better at whatever task it is you're engaged with. And this then falls in line, presumably, with this idea of seeking out difficulty. Absolutely, if you can, yeah, as you so, say, yeah. answer your 10 maths questions very quickly, then actually you're maybe not maybe not striving as hard as you can to do something else. So to to go for those ones that are challenging you that you get wrong so that you can learn and move on yeah and that's a kind of two-way process so it's incumbent on the teachers to uh, to be aware of where the children are at so they can pitch the tasks appropriately so that students are in what we would call the struggle zone where they're able to achieve some of what they're learning but there, there is enough challenge there for them to find it difficult that's that's the kind of sweet spot for for teachers it's not a very comfortable place to be for learners 
And that's why um, it's really important you have a really good relationship with the, the students that you're teaching. So that there's a, a degree of trust there between the teacher and the students. They feel safe enough to, to try um, uh, and expose themselves to difficulty. Because of course, the safest place to be is in the comfort zone where you're doing stuff you already know. You know that's, the, that's where we all feel the safest and the most comfortable. But actually, we don't grow um, as learners or as people in that zone. We need to push ourselves further. Definitely a difficult balance there, isn't it? And as as parents who are, as you say, almost hardwired to praise success as a as a thing, well, you did that so well, and I've certainly fallen victim to it myself. Where you're natural at maths, you're oh, you're yeah. so good at this. Where you can then see that actually you might plateau because he's not pushing himself to do more. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm as guilty of it as anyone. You know, you want to celebrate your kids, you want to say how brilliant and wonderful they are because because they are, (laughs) they are amazing and wonderful. But that natural ability that they might have in mathematics or sport or dance or singing, whatever it might be, that that's only going to to really be um, harnessed properly if they then apply themselves with the kind of that, that seeking out of difficulty that's important, you know, and, and um, if you celebrate the fact that they're willing to try more difficult things, oh, that's great that you've done that. that's fantastic, really well done. What's next? What can we do next to challenge you to, to help you get even better at that thing that you've just done? So that kind of feedback, I think, can be really, really helpful. But uh, this isn't just about praising the effort. It's about praising the effort that leads to progress. So where effort is well applied, that's something that should be celebrated where students are trying really hard but their technique is bad um that's actually something that we should look to try and alter so that their their technique is is better so that it, their effort is uh, more fruitful when they apply it so this is then what has been coined the power of yet is that right so there's always chance to try again to try harder to try a different approach if, if the first way wasn't successful yeah, that's that's right. So um, uh, the power of yet is something that we, we we talk about quite a lot, and it's always become a bit of a kind of catchphrase with students around the school with me when I walk in. You know, so when um, when students are tempted to give up on something they're doing, which is really difficult, um, and I say, "Oh, you know, I can't do it," and, and then they'll look up at me and go, "All right, yet I know I can't do it yet, but I'll have another go." Um, and actually, I don't mind that. I don't mind that at all, provided they're willing to give it another go. So your book is obviously based around the idea of a growth mindset as opposed to a, a fixed mindset. And I wonder if you could explain what what those mean to those of us who aren't in the profession. And also, is this is this just a fad? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so uh, growth mindset is, is the, uh, I guess, the brainchild of uh, Professor Carol Dweck, a psychologist and uh, neuroscientist working in America. And her research over that Essentially, there are kind of two extremes on a continuum. A growth mindset is where you uh, believe about yourself that your ability is uh, can be improved or developed uh, with, as a result of effort and over time. Uh, whereas a fixed mindset on the other end of that continuum is a belief that you are born with a certain amount of ability and nothing that you do can really change that. Um, what the, the theory sh- shows is that we all exist in various different domains along various points in that continuum line. But it's wrong to say that we either have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. What the research does show is that in particular aspects of our life, we will have more of a growth mindset about some things than about other things. And that's why you get students who will spend hours and hours and hours working in the art room to polish up a a, a perfect painting, but will also say, I am bad at math 
or adults who will spend you know hours and hours on the driving range working on tiny details of their golf swing to add an extra few yards to their drive but will also say i am a useless cook as though um they can't apply the one to the other and and that's a really important distinction about the fact that we don't necessarily believe the same things about all aspects of our learning in our life so uh, it's not just a fad it's uh, it, it's backed up by a lot a lot of research but one of the, most, the things that we're not very clear about or the research doesn't show how we uh, apply these mindsets at scale across you know, large institutions like schools. There are some promising signs from some of the research, but actually uh, what we're doing, at, certainly at Churchill and, and in many other schools around the country, is trying to work out the best way to develop uh, growth mindsets in young people, because the research does show that, that growth mindset and achievement is is closely entwined. With this idea then that we can be growth mindset approach to some things and fixed mindset approach to others. And I think I can, I and many others will easily be able to recognise the, the comparison between golf and cooking, although for me it would be the other way around. <laughs> is there anything anything that you could point to that, that, that explains why we're a fixed mindset about one thing but growth about another? Yeah, I think I think you know it's it's there is a, a natural predisposition and predisposition in our uh, enthusiasm for certain things. Some of us will be more enthusiastic about sport than music, and some of us will be more enthusiastic about music than sport. And um, that can come from our you know genetic abilities, our family backgrounds, our social groups, peer influences, all kinds of things that go into the mix of making up who we are. Um, the way of, uh, of of tackling that, which I think is quite interesting, is just being explicit about the difference between the the, the different domains that you're in. So, for example, it seems to be socially more acceptable for people to say, oh, I'm terrible at maths, than it is to say, oh, I'm terrible at reading. So you, you might find, uh, you know, uh, some parent saying, oh, I was used to some maths at school, as though, as though that in some way is okay. But you find very few people who would say, oh, I was useless at reading at school and never held me back. Um, so pointing that out explicitly and saying that, you know, actually, uh, these these two skills or all skills in fact are, are, are essential to, to being kind of functioning adults um, and that, that numeracy and, and literacy should be of equal esteem just pointing out the differences in the way we kind of conceptualize those can be a really helpful way just to uh, unpick the kind of unconscious biases that we might have about different aspects of our of our own learning and experiences it's interesting i think as well that, that when in the example you just gave there about how um, I was I was useless at maths and it never held me back. In the same way that praise can be harmful, that actually that well-intentioned soothing, of, um, never mind, can presumably be harmful as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, you know, um, kind of excusing failure as a as a good thing, um, I think, is is a misunderstanding of what a lot of the research says. And I, you know, I have heard of schools setting up deliberate failure exams so that students can experience what failure feels like in a safe environment to me that misses the point failure isn't the point we don't have to fail we want them to succeed and success feels good and failure feels bad and we shouldn't you know shy away from the fact that when we fail it's a bad that's right that that's that's a good thing we, we 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 should acknowledge that yeah that did feel bad didn't it what can we do next to make sure that you don't feel like that again you know what can we do to prevent you feeling that that failure again, other can revise or prepare or, or work on that will mean that you have a 
positive experience the next time you try a task like this. Thank you, Chris. I've certainly learned a lot. As a parent of a 14-year-old studying at home, it's so useful to get an insight into the idea of a growth mindset. As Chris has said, it's natural, almost instinctive, to praise our children. What seems to me to be important now is to reframe what success is. It isn't about the result, it is about the process. And I'm fairly sure that yet is going to very quickly become my new mantra. Thanks to you two for listening to the Study Sessions podcast. Again, we want to make sure that everyone who could benefit from listening does. So please subscribe and review and don't forget to tell all your friends about it. We'll look forward to speaking to you again next week for another episode of the Study Sessions podcast.